Well, good morning, church. My name is Doug Fern. I am the pastor over at East Campus, and it's my joy to be able to be with you here this morning and be able to proclaim God's word. I want an awesome day it is. We've got to see visibly the gospel demonstrated through the sacrament of baptism. We just got done singing the gospel um, through song, and now we get to hear the gospel proclaimed through the preaching of the word. And so it's my great joy to be able to do that this morning with you. Um, If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to take them out. You'll be greatly helped if you have them open, whether it's on your lap or with your phone. This morning, we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Specifically this morning, we find ourselves in chapter 6, the second half of chapter 6. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As we go through this book, um, what we're hoping to do as a church is to be able to simply discern God's purposes for us as a people who belong to Him. If you guys recall that this, uh, we're in this unique season here at Parkview, we're, we're kind of dedicating, calling the year of renewal, where we're asking that God would breathe life into us as a people and really define and clarify what it is that He has for us in the generations ahead of us. Just what a beautiful picture it is to be able to see God's um, work and the faithful witness and testimony of so many people poured out through service in this congregation and watching um, youth grow up here and and dedicate their lives to following Jesus. It's a great picture of what we want to see God continue to do and in through our church. And so over the next couple of months, we're using the book of 1 Corinthians as an opportunity to really examine what God is calling us to As we have um, looked at this book, we've seen that the church at Corinth is experiencing a number of challenges, a number of difficulties. There are a number of problems that we have addressed and that we have seen, problems of leadership and division, problems of public quarrels. This week, in the end of this chapter six, we're going to give our attention specifically to what Paul and God gives their attention to as they correct an issue that the the, the church at Corinth is facing, and that is the problem of sexual immorality. It's a theme that was initially introduced in this letter at the beginning of chapter six, and Paul, or sorry, beginning of chapter five, and Paul picks back up here at the end of chapter six. I'm titling the sermon message this morning, Made for More. So if you're taking notes, that's the title of the message, Made for More. I'm going to read our passage, and then I'll open our time in prayer. This is 1 Corinthians chapter six, verses 12 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised the Lord and will also raise up uh, us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
Church, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you um, this morning as we come together as your people, Lord, and we do so right now, focus our attention as your people on your word. Lord, we thank you for this truth, for the word that you've given us. Lord, we thank you that as we um, set ourselves and our church to the business of discerning your purposes for us, Lord, um, we thank you that you have equipped us well to discover what those purposes are. Lord, we acknowledge that your spirit is here this morning working in our midst, that your presence is here, Lord, and we ask that, that your spirit, that you would guide us um, as we explore your truth. Lord, and we ask that you would use this word, this truth, Lord, that you would write it on our hearts and that you would use it to shape us as a people who would continue to be a blessing to this community and to one another for generations to come. Lord, we love you and we need you now. I need you, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, in 2003, Elizabeth Gibson was enjoying, as she did daily, a walk through Manhattan's Upper West Side when she spotted something colorful that was lying in the trash on the curb in the street. It was a brightly colored painting. Purple, orange, yellow, the colors popped out and immediately grabbed her attention. As she drew closer, she could see what appeared to be an abstract depiction of three figures. Intrigued by this strange, the strange power of the art, Miss Gibson took the trash home. She spent the next four years researching this piece, trying to learn exactly what it was that she now owned. And through a missing masterpiece segment of the Antique Roadshow, Miss Gibson came to learn that she had recovered a famous painting by the Mexican modernist Rufin Tamayo, a piece that would eventually fetch over a million dollars at auction. The painting was called Tres Personas. The individual who painted this beautiful masterpiece clearly intended it to be made for more than to be discarded and thrown out, laying at the curb, waiting for a garbage man to pick it up and haul it off to the dump. Something that was so valuable to be just discarded as trash is unheard of, unacceptable. Folks, as we consider and maybe be kind of shocked that somebody would do that, eventually, essentially we found out that this painting was stolen years, some 20 years before from a, from a storage unit and whoever had it just did not value it, discarded it, threw it away, it was trash. What we see happen to this, what we see happen to this painting is something that unfortunately happens in our culture every single day to us as people. Oftentimes, we do not recognize that our bodies, the bodies that God has given us for, what, what 1 Corinthians 6 calls us to, is to recognize that our bodies similarly are not to be treated as trash. But rather, God has designed them for a purpose. Brothers and sisters, you were made for more. You were made for more. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that your body was designed by the, the, the author and designer of the universe to bring glory to him. And as 
creatures, as human beings, we were made for more. Primary claim that we see here this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, brothers and sisters, is that you belong to God, and therefore, what you do with your body matters. It matters a great deal. This morning, as we kind of walk our way through this passage of Scripture, I want to spend our time looking at three things. How we think about our bodies, what we do with our bodies, and why it matters. First up, how we think about our bodies. We see this in verses 12 through 14. It's, it's important for us to consider just as we look at these verses, just to, for a few minutes, how we view, how we think about our bodies. This is of tremendous importance. After all, you have your body 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wherever you go, so does your body, all right? So it's important that you think about it and how you think about it. Another reason why it's important that we consider how we view our bodies is because the world around us has a view of your body. And that view you are confronted with in our culture, in our world, every single day. The world has a lot to say about how you view your body. And so we better know, we better think about how we view our body. First, let's consider just real quick how the Corinthians thought about their bodies. What's unique, as I mentioned before, the, this uh, letter is, ex, is uh, confronting several problems and challenges that the church of Corinth is facing. What's unique about this particular section, as we look at the, the problem of sexual immorality, is the absence of an explicit allegation. So, for example, in in chapter 5, verse 1, uh, Paul specifically addressed a man who was sleeping with his father's wife. There was a specific instance in the church that Paul focused in on to show that this is a big problem. This scripture, this passage is unique as there is not a specific focus in the church that Paul addresses. As it starts off, we see he says, and you'll notice just if you have your Bibles open, in verses 12 through 14, you'll see several phrases that have quotation marks around them. It is commonly thought by most scholars that these quotations are, that what Paul is doing is he is citing a contemporary Corinthian slogan, a, a common phrase that would have been used and, and used throughout the culture and was being used now by Christians and believers within the church. Possibly this, this specific one, all things are lawful for me, it's possibly something that was picked up from the Stoics and carried into the church and is now being used by believers. He cites it again in chapter 10, verse 23, in a reference to, to how, we feel, how they should view food that's being offered by idols, or to idols. Paul doesn't flat out reject this wisdom, it's important to note, but he's quick to qualify it. While all things are lawful, he says, not everything is beneficial, Though all things are lawful, he says again, we are not to be enslaved by anything. You see that what was happening at the church of Corinth is they were using this slogan, wisdom of the world, to justify what they were doing with and to their bodies. They were using this slogan to justify how they viewed their bodies. 
They understood the problem at Corinth was they, they understood Christian liberty was a license to sin. And now they are misapplying this idea of Christian liberty to the concept of sexual immorality. And folks, we have to be reminded that while we are free in Christ, we are, our freedom is, is for love, not for license. And that's an important distinction for us to remember as we think about the freedom that we have in Christ. It is for love, not for license. Not for license to sin. Christian liberty does not mean that I am free to do what I please, but that I have been freed to do what pleases Christ. That's why we're freed. In verse 13, Paul cites another slogan that was common in Corinth. This particular saying helps us understand how the people viewed their sexuality. God gave them their stomachs and an appetite for food. Therefore, they should satisfy that craving for food, their appetite, whenever they feel that desire. Likewise, the Corinthians believe that they should treat the body the exact same way. Whenever they had a desire, just like when the stomach was craving food, eat, right? Well, when the body has a desire for sex, they were saying, just like the stomach, let's satisfy that desire. Just do whatever pleases you. This is how they viewed their body. Whenever they felt the desire for sex, just do what you want. Why not satisfy it? Folks, if we consider just for a moment, that's how they viewed, that's how they understood their bodies. Okay, this is a church. This is a church in first century Corinth viewing their bodies this way. Consider just for a minute how we, some 2,000 years later, consider and view our bodies as, as a culture, in Western culture. I would say there's, there tends to be sort of two extremes that either we obsess about our bodies and we think that our bodies are everything or we don't think at all about our bodies. What we do to them, what we put into them, how we treat them has no bearing on how we live our life. And we tend to, as a Western culture, follow down one of those paths. Western culture has actually undergone a tremendous transformation, as you know, in the past several decades, especially on how we view sexuality and gender. And these changes have come at an alarming pace. There are a number of reasons that account for these changes, but one of which has been a fundamental shift in our understanding of anthropology, our understanding of human nature. See, in our secular world today, the physical body, body is entirely, this is the secular world saying this, is entirely accidental. According to atheistic evolution, your body is simply a lump of matter that you are attached to. It has no intrinsic meaning or significance, no, no transcendent value to speak of. Because evolution shows us that any physical thing can literally become anything else. So there's no reason why you can't fashion or our physical body into something entirely different than from what it started from. I don't know if this sounds familiar. It's accidental. And if it's accidental, then it follows it's also incidental. The body now has become a canvas on which we get to express our true identity. But it doesn't in any way determine or shape that identity. Doesn't matter what you do to it. Doesn't ultimately matter how you view it, what you put in it. Those things bear no significance whatsoever. 
The body is simply a canvas upon which you project to the world what's really inside of you. Well, hopefully you can sense the the lie that is in that view of our body. You can see that while the culture says that, the Bible has a completely different understanding of who we are and how we should view our bodies. God has a very different understanding and he is calling us to think of ourselves as he thinks of ourselves, to view our body as he views our body. So then the question is, how does God view our body? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Folks, this morning, as God thinks of you and your body, do you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't despise your body. He he doesn't say, I wish his body or her body looked differently. He doesn't do that. Rather, the body has a purpose. The body has a purpose for God. So therefore, God is for the body. While your body is not all that matters in this life, it still matters in how you treat it, how you view it, what you think about it, what you do with it is all significant because your body, brothers and sisters, is meant for the Lord. It's meant for the Lord. He goes on to say in verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Our bodies are not some outer shell that our souls shed at death. Rather, the biblical understanding, the Christian view of our bodies is that our future destiny is not redemption from our bodies, but redemption of our bodies. Paul is saying, just like Jesus was raised was physically raised from the grave and given a resurrection body, so you will have a resurrection body, a redeemed, a restored body. And the question for us today is, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? Or are we following and listening to the voices of the world around us that bombard us every single day? There is great freedom. There's great peace. It's tremendous joy when we understand and embrace a biblical view of ourselves, a biblical anthropology. If we move on into verses 15 and 17, we will consider the second point here. What, what do we do with our bodies? How we think about them, first point. Second point, what do we do with our bodies? Verse 15 lets us in on what was going on in Corinth at the time. Helps us see what they were dealing with, what they were doing with their bodies. Look at verse 15 with me. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, never. See, prostitution was a huge issue in the Greco-Roman world. And it was, in Corinth, it was a huge threat to the church. See, while sleeping with prostitutes would not have been common in the Jewish culture, it certainly was in Corinth for the Greco-Romans. It was seen as a socially acceptable, a a main street sort of affair. 
Prostitutes would register at the magistrate and, and moralists like Cicero and Cato would, would have condoned it as a safeguard against adultery. So the way they viewed prostitution was, hey, if I want to be, if I want to be faithful to my spouse and if I want to be, you know, resist the temptation to sleep with, with somebody else's spouse, then what I'm going to do is just go down to the uh, local brothel and sleep with a prostitute. That way I can preserve my marriage. Want to stay true to your spouse? Not be tempted to get caught up in an affair? Don't want to compromise your marriage or somebody else's? Perfect. Head down to the, the neighborhood brothel. Sounds crazy. Unbelievable, right? Ridiculous. How could they think like that? Well, unfortunately, we have, while we may not view prostitution like that in our day and age, there's a whole host of other things that we view the exact same light, namely pornography. I think it's a very common thing in our culture to see pornography be a thing that we can justify. Oftentimes, I've even heard Christians use it to justify, um, you know, not wanting to sin with somebody else to keep them satisfied, to protect them from making a, a choice that may harm themselves or harm somebody else that can ruin their marriage possibly or ruin their life. So they, they view pornography. Folks, pornography does exactly that. Ruins, destroys relationships. And, and to be clear, pornography is not a male issue. It is a male and a female issue. And I think studies that I've seen show that it's increasingly becoming a female issue in our culture. It's a male and a female issue. And it's not a, it's not a single issue or a married issue. It's a single issue and it's a married issue. It is a challenge that if we have, if we have, the, if we have life in our body, it's a challenge that every single one of us faces virtually every single day. And the challenge is increasing as things like technology bring it directly into our home, directly into our hands, wherever we want it, wherever we find ourselves, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, complete and total access. It's a massive problem in our culture. It's destroying relationships. I would say it threatens the church. It's destroying lives. And oftentimes people can play around with it and use it as if it's a way to keep them from something worse. It's a lie from the pit. Paul here specifically addresses the lie that the, the Corinthians are believing in prostitution. He goes on in verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. See, this is a revolutionary idea that as us for Christians is basic to our understanding of Christianity. Jesus identifies himself with your body. Your body is the body of Christ. Jesus, as we leave here today and, and head out these doors and we maybe walk into a restaurant, this is Jesus' way of, of walking throughout Iowa City by filling his people, giving them legs and moving them around. He identifies throughout the scriptures with our body. Here he says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So it matters what you do with your body. It matters a big deal because your body is for the Lord and the Lord is for your body. Lastly, let's consider why this matters. And, we, and Paul, throughout this 
section is given kind of basically one reason after another why we why it really matters how we view and what we do with our bodies. Verses 18 and 20. Now there may be some here who are not convinced yet by his argument. So he provides several more. The first is this. Holy Spirit resides in your body. Look at verse 19. I'm going to come back to 18 in a minute. Verse 19 says, or do you not know? This is Paul's a common phrase that he uses to, to sort of build his argument. And we see it three times in this section. Just reason after reason after reason why your bad body matters. Do you not know that the Holy Spirit resides in your body? Do you not know that the, the, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The truth is, this morning, God values our bodies so much that he has taken up residence in them. God has a new address. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have received the gift of salvation, that new address is your body. God resides in it. And this is part of God's sort of eternal plan throughout redemptive history. If you think about what God is ultimately doing, as you pick up the Bible and read from the beginning to the end, well, you'll see it's about, it's a story about God making his presence accessible to his people and putting them in a place. That's what God is doing throughout scripture. It's what he's doing in his, throughout his eternal purposes. See it in the Garden of Eden, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the temple, See, in the incarnation, we see it when Jesus comes to us, God's presence with God's people in a particular place. And we see it when Jesus ascends into heaven, he then gives us a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who now is his presence in us as his people here on this place in earth. That's what God does. Consider just for a moment the Old Test- in the Old Testament, the temple. In the Old Testament, the temple was signified, the holiness of the temple was signified by the many compartments that one had to pass through before they were entered into the, the most holy place. The only one that would be permitted into that most holy place was the high priest. Only be able to go in there one day of year. That's the day of atonement. He had to take special care when he went in there to ensure that that place was not defiled. Give, give special attention to this sacred place. Paul's calling us as followers of Jesus to do the exact same thing with our bodies to give special attention to this, this vessel, which is a sacred vessel. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in it. Because God himself resides in my body. And as this dwelling place, your body is sacred. He's committed to you. Do not mistreat your body. Next, he says, you belong to God. Verse 19, the first part, or the end of verse 19. You are not your own. As the temple of God, we are not autonomous. We don't answer just to ourselves. And again, this runs countercultural, right? The, the world around us says, you are your own authority. You are completely autonomous. The Bible says, no, you belong to God. You answer to God. You are his possession, his holy people. And if we belong to God, then what we do ultimately doesn't just matter to ourselves, it matters to God as well. We don't get to determine right from wrong. God's given us a standard, tells us what that is. He says, stop putting yourselves first. Give yourselves wholly to him. If if we understood what it meant to belong to God, this singular truth 
should shape every aspect of our life. You are not your own, but belong to God. That all of a sudden, every decision you make about your body or not about your body, it matters. Why? Because you're not your own. You belong to God. What comfort this is. Like, God knows the faces, the challenges that these people face. And what he doesn't say is he doesn't say, good luck. Go get them. I know the culture is singing a different tune. I know they're writing another narrative. Have fun. Give it a try. He doesn't do that. What he says is, this is my standard, and here is my power, my presence with you. So what you don't have to do is muster up enough strength and try to accomplish it and pull it off on your own. Because God is with us. He's resourced us as well as he can resource us. He's given us himself. He goes on to say, verse 20, for you were bought with a price. Jesus gave himself completely for us. So it's our joy to turn around and give ourselves completely to him and to live completely for him. That's what we just saw here is is young men and women declaring that, proclaiming that. I was bought with a price. Jesus gave himself fully to me and now I am living fully for him. And because of this reality, because of all these reasons, Paul can simply tell the church at Corinth in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Get away from it. You don't play around with it. You see it rear its head and you run the opposite direction. I don't know if you guys saw, there's a video this week uh, went viral. This uh, guy in some place stumbled across some mountain lions. Did you see this? He's coming down a trail and all of a sudden you see a little cub kind of run out from the bush into the trail and, and all of a sudden he sees what it is and he just starts backing up. I mean, as soon as he sees the danger on the path, his response is to go the other direction. And eventually, mama mountain lion comes out and just starts running at him down the path and he's backpedaling. I don't know why he's videotaping it the whole time. I don't know, but he's doing it for our entertainment, I suppose. But for like six minutes, he's running down this, away from the mountain lion right? It's, you know, you got to filter it. I think there's lots of expletives that he says along the way, like he's cussing at it. He's yelling at it. He's running, eventually picks up a rock and he throws it. Like he's doing whatever he can do to get rid of the mountain lion. Why? Because the mountain lion is going to destroy him. And our problem oftentimes is we don't recognize the danger, the danger of sexual immorality, Right, Because we can think, oh, I'll mess around with pornography, with this relationship, whatever, for just a little bit, and I'll go on my way. Folks, it is destroying. It threatens to destroy us. So Paul says, flee from it. Get away from it. Whatever it takes, get away from it. So real quick, in closing, what I want to do is I want to ask you to just consider three things. How are you going to do that? Because like I said before, this is a challenge that every single one of us faces. I'm going to list three things that I want to suggest to you would be great action, uh, action just takeaways from our passage this morning. And for some of us, it might mean, might mean doing like kind of up in each one of these. And it, maybe there's other ones that really have to focus in on one. So I'm just going to let you decide what that is. So first one is this. Let's be, if you want to have any hope in conquering this sin and facing it, First, be real with God. Be real 
with God. Deal honestly with your struggle. Whether it's pornography, sexual relationship, thought life, just running unchecked, out of control in your mind, it's time to get healed. There's hope. Maybe you've been messing with it for years. Maybe you can speak firsthand of how it is destroying relationships in your life, wreaking havoc on your heart. Folks, the good news of the gospel is it doesn't have to stay that way. Now is the time to deal with it. Today, you can leave the prison of sexual immorality that has been created by past thoughts, past mistakes, past relationships, past choices. Falling for the bait doesn't necessarily make us, and this has to be clear, just because this might be a struggle that is present in your life doesn't necessarily make you the worst person in the world. The enemy wants to fill you with guilt and with shame, and he wants to beat you down. Listen to your father's voice who calls out to you in the noisy clamor of the world and simply says to you, come to me, I will give you rest. Hebrews 7.25, I was reading this in a devotional this week, says he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost. If you come to Jesus this morning, deal honestly with your sin, fling yourself on his grace. If you draw near to him, he's able to save you to the uttermost, the darkest corners of our lives, the parts that are hidden from even our closest friends. It is those areas, the areas you want nobody else to see that Jesus' love we get to experience when we hand them over to him, we get to experience his love the most. The great news of the gospel, brother and sister, is that you cannot sin your way out of the reach of Jesus. And let this kindness from the Lord be what draws us, be the catalyst that draws us to repentance, brings us out of the darkness into the light. Be real with God. Secondly, just be real with yourself. In our hypersexualized culture, this battle is inevitable. It is for every single person in this room, online, the battle is inevitable. It's waiting for you, probably right now. Are you equipped to fight it? We all need practical steps, safeguards that we can put in place as we fight this battle. Be real with yourself. I would suggest maybe two just practical things. First is keep God's word in your heart. For me, this verse, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, could, should become a mantra that we say in our head over and over and over again. When we see sexual immorality, pornography, lust, raise their heads, this is the phrase that we, we say every single time. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. 
Commit this verse to memory. There's a host of other verses. Commit them to, me- to memory. Walk around with those verses. Go to bed with those verses. Watch TV with those verses. Be on Snapchat with those verses or just delete Snapchat altogether. I'm just saying, maybe that's what you gotta do. Keep God's word in your heart. Secondly, as you be real with yourself, setting safeguards in place, keep technology in its place. Like I said before, technology makes this so accessible, sexual morality so accessible. Allowing it to go unchecked in your life is a complete recipe for disaster. There are so many, the downside of technology is that it presents so many opportunities. The upside is, it, is that technology also can be used to fight against what technology presents, okay? So use how to, how, learn how to use technology to fight this. There's a great... Um, there's a, a great author out there, Cal Newport, who writes a lot about, one of his books is Digital Minimalism, and he has what's called a foyer rule with his phone. And if you guys, back in the day when they had phones that used to be like attached to something, if you guys remember, a lot of times they would be sort of in the first part of the house, in the foyer part of the home. And so if you wanted to make a call, what would you do? You'd go down to the foyer, you'd pick up the phone, you'd make a call. It was attached to a cord. And then when you're done, you'd hang it back up and you'd go do your thing. Then you'd hear the phone ring and you'd go back to it and you'd do your stuff, right? Well, what Cal suggests is why not do the same thing with your cell phone? Just find a place in the house. It doesn't have to be a foyer. Maybe you don't have a foyer, but find a place and just say, I'm gonna do everything I do with my phone, whether it's email or call or text, but I'm gonna do it from this place and have it be a public place, a place that everybody can see what's happening. And just try that for a week. Institute the foyer rule in your home and see what happens. We can use things like Google Wi-Fi to control access, time. I think if families have kids and you can, you can control devices and these cost money, but if you think about what's at stake, it's worth the price because you were bought with a price. There's a great book out there for families who are navigating technology. It's called The TechWise Family by a guy named Andy Crouch who, who talks about how, he, how they have kind of utilized and the structure that they put in place for their family as they walk through how to approach technology. When we flee from sexual immorality, you do whatever it takes. And the third thing I want to just suggest this morning is to be real with God, be real with yourself, and be real with someone else. Again, this goes against so much in our culture to be vulnerable. We're tempted to want to make others think that we have it together, that we've got it figured out, that this isn't a battle that applies to everybody but me. I want to encourage you to be real with somebody else, to find somebody else and, and, and share, be vulnerable with them. Share how you struggle with this. Let them into your life and fight it together. Give them access to places that other people don't have access to and ask them to help. I think of community groups are wonderful places to do just that. Oftentimes, I was talking to somebody just recently that their community group gets together and they said, for the first time, we split up guys and lady, uh, ladies into two different groups and, and the guys just talk with the guys and the ladies just talk with the ladies. And that was a, it was a great way to even just foster some of this conversation, to be real with this. Because oftentimes, when those mixed groups, these conversations don't come up. Be real with someone else. Folks, Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians 6 here and says that your body matters to God So therefore, you should glorify God with your body. He's given us a high calling. What an amazing privilege. What we don't want to do is walk out of here with guilt and shame from past mistakes, but rather committed to bringing glory to God with the things that we look at, the things that we do with our body. 
What an awesome calling that we have to, to direct attention to the creator of the universe. Let's do just that. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just thank you this morning for your word, and we know that, that this, is, this issue, this topic is real, that um, there's, there's a real potential for us to, to want to beat ourselves up um, about things that maybe lie in our past, Father, and, um, or, or maybe just to ignore it and justify it as we see the Church of Corinth do, Lord. But we ask that you would give us just the ability to take this issue very seriously. Lord, and I also pray that you would give us the wisdom, the courage, Lord, to fight this fight in our lives. You have resourced us so well, Lord. Lord, and I just pray that you would help us to um, just consider how we view our body, to be thinking about what we do with our body, and to always be reminded why it matters. Father, thank you that we're not our own, but we belong to you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.